Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of Sad Times, where I use my radio voice at the start and then throw that shit out right away, because this shit is hard to keep going. Uh, my name is Kevin. I'm the host. Uh, for those of you who have never listened to Sad Times, first of all, welcome. Second, I hope you're not sad. Third, here's a little primer on how the show works. Uh, each week, we have a guest who comes on to tell their story. Um, or stories about times in their life where they faced a crisis. They were sad, they were upset, they were angry, and they were dealing with a number of negative and difficult things. And then we talk about how that affected them and how it, those who loved them were affected so that uh, you know we all go through these things. The goal of the show here is to have these guests on to tell their stories so that maybe you at home can feel a little bit less alone uh, as you're listening. So that is, that is sad times in a nutshell. We'll get to our wonderful guest here shortly. Uh, but we do have two fake sponsors, uh, as we love to have. Now, uh, both of these are from Brent, so they're probably really, really rage-filled. Um, all right, our first sponsor is the Brave Corporate Battle Against Rising Costs. All right, let's see here. Remember when you got a good deal on those jeans? Well, that's because freight trains must be allowed supremacy on all railroad tracks where public transportation tries to work. Because of our heroes fighting the good fight against rising costs, freight trains must move ahead of all commuter travel. If those goods don't get there on time, then we might have to pay more for one of those paddles with a ball and string on it. And who wants to do that? That's the brave corporate battle against rising costs. And our second sponsor is Pensions. That's Pensions. Hey, we hardly knew you. All right. Moving on. Okay, so let's get to today's guest. I'm very excited uh, about this. Uh, our guest is Lori, uh, a friend of mine and a former theater professor of mine, and Brent's. Hey, Lori, how's it going? It's going great. Hi, guys. Good to see you both today. Good to see you as well. Um, and uh, thank you for coming on. I, I, I wanted to start by talking about a specific time in my life, I graduated from college in 2004, and uh, that spring semester, we'll just say that I was going through some self-inflicted wounds, and uh, there was a couple times, Lori, where, I don't know if you recall this, where I sat in your office with you, and you just listened to me and allowed me to talk through kind of the really troubling times I was going through, and you offered me wisdom, you offered me um, non-judgmental, uh, you know, a non-judgmental um, audience. And I, I like to think of this episode as a small way of me paying you back for that, those kindnesses that you showed me almost 20 years ago. Now I, I've never forgotten those. And those are just some of, I'm just so appreciative that you took that time with me when I was in such a bad place. So thank you very much. Oh, you're so welcome, Kevin. I can't believe it's almost 20 years ago. <laughs> I know. Isn't that crazy? It's it's not so. Yeah. 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 And um, now you have been retired for how long? I retired in June of 2018. So we're going on five years. How's that treating you? Oh, it's treating me great now. Uh, got off to a little bit bumpy start, which is why I'm here today, I think, to talk yes. a little bit about that. But Well, yeah. let's, let's talk about that. I mean, let's get right into it. Um, you retired in June of 2018. Now, you said you got off to a bumpy start. What what do you mean by that? And when did that occur? Yeah. So, um, you know, I retired and had all of these big plans to travel, you know, deep clean my house, actually made shit that I 
pinned on Pinterest, you know, and um, all of that sort of thing. And uh, in August, I, um, you don't need all the backstory, but in August, I was diagnosed with a rare and aggressive form of breast cancer. And it was, uh, it's called inflammatory breast cancer. And it was triple negative, which was like a double punch, because what that means or meant was that after treatment, I would not be able to have hormone, hormonal therapy, mm-hmm. which would help increase survival rates. So um, it was like a double punch, you know. So you weren't um, able to have that because of the type of, of breast cancer you had. You were not, right. hormonal was, therapy would not work for it or would actually right. exacerbate the problem. Or could exacerbate the problem, right. And put that on my yeah. exacerbate board. I use the word exacerbate. Put that over there. <laughs> Okay, so this is August of 2018. Uh, you have all these plans, and right. you have this horrible diagnosis, and it sounds like a very severe diagnosis. Yeah, um, the diagnosis was, uh, well, things looked pretty bleak. You know, the internet was not my friend at that point, nor was it my husband's, nor was it my children. Mm. I had actually diagnosed myself with this Um and it took a while for them to confirm it. And, you know, I have issues with wanting to be right. And this time I was right. And it sucked. I, doesn't it suck when you're right? When it's like, <laughs> I don't want to be right. But right. this also confirms who I am. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it was, you know, shock, disbelief, fear and panic, blaming myself for, Bl- you know. Blaming yourself. Why? Well, you know, I was a smoker blah, 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 you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda, how did I bring this on myself? I mean, those kinds of, I think questions, you know, they're questions that I think people logically ask themselves when they're faced with a diagnosis. Now I did have genetic testing and there was no genetic uh, predisposition for this. Um, So anyway, um, but it led to like a dark night of the soul. I mean, you know, this, I spent quite a few days mired in this existential crisis, this fog. Can I? Yeah. And okay. So, sorry to interrupt you, but you say dark night of the soul, and then you said existential crisis and fog. You used the words fear and panic were some of the words you used earlier. Can, mm-hmm. Is it possible to further describe just mm-hmm. – I think it, it, I'm asking because so many people face news like this every day. Sure. And to describe that terrible feeling of aloneness of, of, as you said, existential crisis and fog, and maybe that's what you're going to do and I shouldn't have interrupted. So I'll shut up. (laughs) No, it was um, because before the shift and I'll talk about the shift in my perspective and how I dealt with treatment and why I think I'm still here today. But before that shift, it was, um, holy shit, this isn't fair. Uh, you know, I'm only, I was only 56 years old at the time. Um, I said, I'm not done. (laughs) I'm not done. I've got grandbabies to see, you know, I've got, I've got shit to do. I've, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to grow old with old man Fink. That's my plan. (laughs) Um, he's been called old man Fink, as you know, for a very long time. Um, so (laughs) You know, people stand around a casket or at a wake and people say life is short and everybody nods their heads. And, and we, and there's, I mean, people aren't saying that it's not bullshit when they say it, but when a diagnosis is thrown at someone, 
shit gets real, real fast, really fast. Mm -hmm. And so um, the fear was not being around to see grandchildren, not growing old with, you know, Mr. Fink. Um, Like I was loving life and, and, you know, here I am on this planet with all of these beautiful souls and, you know, with work to do. And um, I don't know, I just felt robbed, I guess, potentially robbed before the shift. Um, And how long before the the shift, as you say, like they, I mean, I, it's gotta be so uh, difficult to even initiate that shift, let alone complete it. So how long before you were able to start initiating the shift where you were able to get out of that dark night of the soul? Well, thank Yeah. Thanks. Um, I was scheduled for a PET scan um, to see if there was any metastasis, right? Mm -hmm. This is before I started treatment. And I just offered to the universe, please let my scans be clean because I gotten, yes, it's triple negative or yes, it's inflammatory. First red flag. It's triple negative, two red flags. Third was the PET scan. And I'm just like, please, 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 God, let my scans be clean. Mm -hmm. And they were. So there wasn't any metastasis. So I was a stage three. um, And that's where I felt a sliver of hope. Mm-hmm. that was the, that was the first ray of light. And so I started asking myself a question and it was, if I were to believe like many people do that, I chose to come into this body and I had some sort of soul contract that included this diagnosis, then why the f- did I sign up for this? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right? Yeah. So like, you know, this is all about reincarnation or, you know, choosing to come to the planet. I know this seems a little out there, but I was out there. Yeah. I mean, I was out there. I was grabbing at anything coming by, you know, it's like on one of those uh, merry-go-rounds and you're trying to grab a ring, you're trying to, you know, get your feet underneath you. So this question came to me, like, why did I sign up for this? Which what that did was that took the self-blame away. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, I mean, why did I sign up for this? Who in their right mind would? So why is this happening? And this was the ship. Why is this happening for me rather than to me? So uh, I love that. I love yeah. that. And that is just the, the change of those words. Uh, huh? Four to two um, is such a powerful thing. And it, but it also feels like Sisyphus, right? You're, you're pushing those words, that one new word up the mountain. But when you mm-hmm. make that change, it is empowering and right. it allows you, um, as, um, a, a, a recent guest of mine said, you know, to define your own story and you get to go first and defining your story. So you made that huge switch. Tell me again, that was not to me, but for me, right? Why would, why is this happening for me Yes. rather than to me? You know, what does this diagnosis have to teach me? What am I here to learn through this? Yes. And um, that's not Pollyanna. That's not me being in denial or anything like that. It was okay. You know, I'm putting my big girl pants on. And uh, so I started asking myself that question and, you know, um, the answer was, well, I shouldn't say it didn't come like, you know, a God voice or anything like that. But I started sort of working with that question. And I was never good at putting myself first in my life. I mean, 
It was just not in my nature. Like without going into specifics, I grew up in a very loving, but highly dysfunctional home. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's a big club, right? Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. We meet at the bar. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, you know, the coping skills I get, I developed as a young child to weather growing up in this dysfunctional home included among many other things, which is maybe another topic altogether for another show, but it was about um, putting other people first. Always, 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 always. Um, I was called mother Merrill in undergraduate school. Merrill is my maiden name. Mm-hmm. So like if you were in crisis, you know, I'm your girl, pick up the phone. I'll bring you chicken soup. I'll hold your head while you puke in the toilet. I'll tell you what an asshole your boyfriend was. I'll help you change your flat tire, whatever, whatever. So, yeah. And were you finding a lot because you started this pattern as, as a young person, as you said, and then mother Merrill, um, that's almost like mother Mary in let it be. There you go. Brent <laughs> Beatles reference. Uh, cause they're great. But were you finding a lot of your own self-worth and meaning and being that person for other people? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's a, there's a, an official term for it. And that is codependency. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I'm gratefully recovered. I mean, there's still, I still wrestle with some issues of codependency, but um, yeah, yeah. I mean, codependents tend to put all of their self sense of self worth in others, mates, friends, students, children, you know, all of that as their sole self. What is it? I could used to be able to quote this right out of the code of handbook as their sole source of identity and well being. Okay, um, I need to look into that because that sounds like me. Okay, great. Yeah, well, it, that's a big club too. Yeah, that's a big club too. Um, so, so yeah, you had at this point you're 56. You've had this horrifying diagnosis. Um, you've gone through the very understandable. Uh, by the way, you said earlier, like, oh, I know this kind of out there. There's no judgment there. I mean, how can you judge a person who is going through something like that for thinking what they're thinking? It's it, oh, it yes, and at this point now, were you feeling that you had made a good uh, path forward on codependency, or was this kind of yeah. like a really shocking thing that kind of shocked it even further forward? Well, I had been going to Coda <laughs> Codependence Anonymous meetings, which means I'm no longer anonymous, but that's okay. I'm I'm a big believer in what the magic that can happen in those. Uh, secure, safe, sacred spaces where people hold space for each other. And, um, you know, the discovery of just how much, I mean, people get into codependent behaviors for uh, different reasons. You know, people's individual stories may be different, but the coping mechanisms like perfectionism, hypervigilance, being highly empathic, being a control freak, being a caregiver. I mean, those all come from, you know, growing up with a certain level of dysfunction. So I, I kept going to CODA meetings for quite a while through. I leaned heavily on my sisters in um, that CODA circle during almost all of my treatment. Yeah. Well, I, I want to, I've never heard of that before. Um, co, it's codependency? codependency anonymous. No, I've heard of codependency. Hell, I live it. But um, <laughs> codependency anonymous, I believe is what you said. Yeah. Well, if you go to CODA.org. Okay. And, you know, for any of your listeners who maybe are saying, hey, this maybe sounds like me, I'd like to check it out. 
there are CODA meetings going on all over the country, just like there are AA meetings or narc, you know, uh, narcotics, narcotics anonymous. Yeah. Right. They're going on in, you know, church basements and, you know, library meeting rooms and stuff all over the country. What I, one of the things that um, I didn't find out until after I'd been in the program for a while, if you go to the uh, CODA website, they'll say, they'll have a list of patterns and characteristics of codependence. And boy, oh boy, that was a really sobering, sobering thing for me, you know, to look at, um, patterns and behaviors, um, that, yeah, I certainly recognize myself in a lot of those, you know, and, um, there, you know, there's a good side to being, you know, having, you know, perfectionism, like, mm-hmm. you know, seeking quality attention to detail. That's, that certainly served me in my professional life. Um, my hypervigilance, you know, I'm really aware of my surroundings and other people, you know, yes. my kids used to say it, it isn't lost if until mom can't find it, right? <laughs> um, you know, a, a high level of empathy, you know, it served me as an actress, made me a good teacher, a listener, like you said, you were able to come into my office all those years ago, Very true. Uh, available, compassionate, um, you know, control freak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one I'm still sort of working on, although control meant predictable outcomes for me. Like if I were in charge, if if I were in charge, I could predict the outcome because I couldn't predict any outcomes as a young girl growing up in my house. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure. Right. And then, I mean, a super caregiver that made me a really good friend. I think it made me a good nurturing mother. I think my kids would say that. Mm -hmm. Um, But all those things you know, in the dysfunctional side of that, in the codependent side of that, replaced me taking care of myself, right? Because the focus was on other people. Um, so I be, yeah, I'm looking at your face. No, I, well, I was listening, but I, oh, okay. um, I, um, <laughs> I usually look confused because I'm like, life is baffling. Um, one, I'm going to put coda.org in the show notes. I believe it was CODA. And, and because I think that's a wonderful thing. I had no idea that existed. And oh, it's wonderful. I, yeah, it sure sounds wonderful. And I think it's it could help a lot of people who, who may maybe didn't know. Um, um, and I, so you have, have, you came to that. You'd been working through that. Then you said you lean on your sister's, um, mm-hmm. meaning other members of your group. Right. Group. right. And you were leaning on them after your diagnosis is what you're saying? Yeah, I showed up bald in, you know, mm-hmm. meeting rooms and with wigs and, you know, yeah. And they were they were a great source of of uh support. There there's very little better than the support of another person in this world. There's there, nothing better. Yeah, there's probably you're right. There's probably nothing better. And Speaking of support, um, you had asked, but I can kind of hear the great man playing the piano a little bit. Okay. So I'm loving. No, 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 that's great. I'm loving it. All right. um, uh, hopefully, it's it's the piece that I wrote. Um, it, but you <laughs> you had mentioned earlier that after the internet was not your friend. The internet is no one's friend, really, uh, especially when it comes to medical stuff. But you mentioned your husband. Yeah. That he too, of course, when you get when. Uh, your spouse gets a diagnosis like that. I cannot imagine also the effect it would have on him. And I know that he's not here to talk about that, but I believe you told me that shortly after you kind of came out of your 
initial fog that right. you you had a discussion with him about what you needed in order to say, I'm going to fucking beat this. Right. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Sure. Um, yeah, I think, well, obviously I had a shift before my husband and um, it was, it was rough, you know, I mean, it was so hard on him. And uh, I mean, he had the whole same fear, panic, anger, whatever that I did. Um, and I just, he sat on the couch one day and I sat on his lap, which I never do. <laughs> and I said, um, I just want you to know I'm going to be okay. And he said, well, you know me, plan for the worst, hope for the, he's always done that. I mean, that's a Tim Fink saying, plan for the worst, hope for the best. He goes, well, you know me, plan for the worst, hope. I said, stop right there. I said, I don't care if you have to lie to my face. I cannot have you looking at me when you come in the door like you think I'm going to die. I said, I need you to be strong. Oh, <laughs> and he said, okay, that's all I said. And so it's interesting because what the diagnosis did was it sort of shoved me to the front of the line. It was like a Disney fast pass, you know, <laughs> to my life. Yeah. Like, congratulations, Laura Merrill Fink. You get to go to the front of your life. Yay. Yay. And there was permission and there were no excuses. Uh, You know, I was retired. I was at the center of my universe. I had to be for the first time in my life. And so (laughs) it's very interesting. You know, they talk about, you know, we, we, um, we say like when we say somebody's self-centered, that's usually a pejorative term, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, look it up because it means being centered in oneself, independent of outside force or influence. That's pretty different Yes. than, than the way we tend to throw it around. Like someone who's got a big ego, an asshole, you know, whatever, whatever. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I sip, um, separate selfishness into two terms, okay? There's what I call mental health selfishness which is exactly what you're describing, I think, and putting mm-hmm. yourself first and making sure that you are okay so that you can be okay for others, et cetera, et cetera. But then there's Dang the it. other one that I call Ayn Rand selfishness, which is just a bunch of bullshit where you just have a huge ego and like I, the world revolves around me and all this stuff, and I don't sign up for that. Nor right. do I sign up for her prose because it is bad. Okay, so right. you, 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 you are put first for, as you said, maybe the first time in your life, and you stepped into that role. And I yeah. that had to have been difficult as well. Um, it was at first. But here's what's interesting. This is I forgot to tell you this when we were talking on the phone about me maybe coming on the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was downstairs. This is shortly. I, th- I think this kind of premeditated the shift, actually, if I remember. Okay. It's so long ago, but anyway, I was downstairs in what was at the time my meditation room. And, um, I don't, I was looking for something, I don't know, but a book literally fell off the shelf. Okay. Literally fell off the shelf. And I'd like you to put this in your show notes sure. as well. It's actually a book that I'd have, I'd used for a topical seminar in theater like years before it's called your body believes every word you say. Uh Uh-oh. 
<laughs> by Barbara Hoberman Levine. I can I can text that to you okay. later. But anyway, so this is all about the language of the body mind connection. So uh, huge. So I dove back into this book full force, and uh, let me do this real quickly. Um. Well, it doesn't matter. You can, but about core beliefs and seed thoughts, like in emotion in your body's language, uh, perceptions about health and disease, mental projection and expectations. It's, it's an amazing book. So I went back into this book full force. And then I came across this quote from James Cameron. Oh, that's yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It says, hope is not a strategy. Luck is not a factor. Fear is not an option. I'll say that again. Hope is not a strategy. Luck is not a factor. Fear is not an option. Boom, boom, boom. So this book and that quote shifted the ground underneath me. I mean, I felt literally felt a shift, a pivot. I hadn't started chemo yet, but I knew how I was going to proceed the body-mind connection was going to play a starring role. And I woke up and I was going to take an active part in my healing. I was not a victim. Yep. I was not a victim. I was not going to play that card. I put both my hands on the steering wheel of my recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, after all, I quote unquote signed up for this, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> right? So, um, yeah. I want to point out that's a really good quote by James Cameron. And I'm just surprised that it came from the guy who came up with uh, the name Unobtainium for the. I've never seen those movies, but when I found out that Unobtainium was the thing that they couldn't obtain, I got a little mad. <laughs> so, um, okay. Uh, oh, Brent. Brent is getting very excited about Avatar over there. Okay. No, he's not. No, he's not. Okay. So you said you hadn't started chemo. How long um, after your diagnosis and you you work with your doctor, I assume, obviously on a treatment plan, how long afterwards did you start chemo? Uh, October 9th. John Lennon's birthday. Who? John Lennon. He was in the Beatles. Yeah, I know. Okay. Uh, Yeah. So um, 16 rounds of dose-dense chemo. uh, And then a single radical... A modified single mastectomy in March, and then 33 rounds of radiation, which started in June of 2019, and then six months of oral chemo after that. Okay, so the, um, the first chemo, I think you said 16 rounds, maybe. Yeah. What kind of was, is that? The intravenous, like where you sit? Yeah. And, okay. Yeah. Um, that in that obviously wreaks havoc on your body um, was I did go to the internet, not okay. for medical things, but for healing things. Yeah. Pinterest is a Pinterest is a rabbit hole, but I have a, if anybody's interested uh, that, have, you know, are in the uh, people who have a diagnosis, you can go on my Pinterest page. It's called survive and thrive. Anyway. Um, I had little to, I listened to that every time I was in chemo. And um, I honestly believe the shift because there were, there was language like when you're walking to the place, this is where I'm going to be healed. When they start the chemo, you know, people talk about it being poison. And of course you do have to sign off saying, I realize this treatment may end my life. Um, So there's, you know, 
definitely have to have your big girl pants on for that. But oh, yeah. Um, and but it talked about the chemo as being a healing elixir mixing with your own natural healing abilities. So anyway, as we say, no, say that one more time, please. That the chemo just to view this, the chemotherapy as a healing elixir that would mix with your own body's natural healing abilities. Remember everybody has cancer cells in their body. Everybody you have, you're sitting in front of me right now. You have them. Brent has them. Everybody has them, but there's something that happens with someone who receives a diagnosis, whether that's inflammation, stress, eating, you know, abusing drugs or alcohol, whatever it is, could be genetically predisposed that keeps your body from jettisoning those cancer cells on a daily basis. So everybody's body makes cancer cells. See, I didn't know that. So I didn't, I felt like, okay, wow, that's an empowering thought. Yeah. That's an empowering thought. So that's why I, I, ne- I have never, I never said I have or had the C word. And I'm talking about cancer, not the C word you're thinking yes. of. Yes. No, I'm thinking of cancer. Right. So I, here's what I said. I said, there are cancer cells in my body that are not welcome and will be evicted. Did you, um, when you started thinking that way, when you started approaching it that way, mm-hmm. did you believe it right away or did you, did, did, was it a process where you had to kind of keep saying it to yourself almost as a mantra so that you then knew, okay, this is it. This is, I now believe this, et cetera. Sure. Yeah. You know, the, that, um, fake it till you make it, I guess. But I mean, I don't I don't know. That's a really good question. I think in, you know, my, it's a bit of a roller coaster ride throughout mm-hmm. treatment and, um, the what ifs or the scary thoughts, you know, might creep in from time to time. And that's when you lean into your partner or your, right. your friends, um, support, uh, group. support uh. group, um, but also, Honestly, the internet can be your friend. Like I listen to these uh, subliminal um, things on YouTube about killing cancer cells and healing meditations and found all kinds of wonderful affirmations. I started doing tapping work. Um, What's tapping work? Oh, you don't know about tapping? Uh, tapping? Ta- tapping? Tapping. Oh, um, Emotional freedom technique, you know. Where oh you no! Tap- I mean, I have to touch door handles a certain number of times. <laughs> okay, that well, that's thing? a little different. Oh, okay. No, no, it's a okay. little bit different. But anyway, um, you know, I started a vision journal. Um, I, well, that James Cameron quote: "A woman from my church made T-shirts with that on it and hashtag Team Lori." <laughs> that's awesome. And it was, it, yeah, it was, it was beautiful. Um, I started seeing my therapist again. I created a Spotify playlist of, you know, things that, things that felt empowering songs that felt empowering. Um, Yeah. Uh, So you were, you're totally in a very positive way. It sounds like taking control of what you can control, which is the way that you approach the situation and the way that you react to what is probably uh, not probably what is going to be very uh, difficult physical uh, symptoms as well as emotional symptoms, but you you are taking control of what you can. 
mm-hmm. uh, which is a really beautiful thing. And again, I want to point out is not easy at all, but it can you know, be done. You're absolutely right. And I'll be honest with you, you know, uh, another codependent behavior is never asking for help ever because that is seen as a sign of, well, in the codependent's mind, it's seen as a sign of weakness, right? So I made my diagnosis public on Facebook. Uh, Gosh, I don't remember when it was. Um, Not to... Not to be a you know a buzz killer or anything, but because I was actually asking, I didn't actually physically or I didn't ask for it. I just said game on. Someone had given me a a coaster or something that said fight like a girl, mm-hmm. and so I took a picture of that and I said game on. Um, so what was so beautiful, Kevin? was how much support was out there. And I think a lot of people, when they're going through anything, not not something, it doesn't have to be cancer, but when they're going through a rough spot, um, it's hard to ask. It's hard to reach out, I think, for a lot of folks. And it was hard for me at that time, but I did. And I could not believe, I mean, students that I had 30 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, um, friends of friends, um, my mother's friends, you know, my whatever. So I, I realized that I was not alone because it's easy to feel alone, you know, yes. folks with depression and anxiety. I mean, I, I rode that horse about 25 years ago for about a year. So I know I, <laughs> what? I was just thinking of um, like breaking a horse. You know how like uh, people used to break a horse to be able to ride. You can't anyway. I was just thinking of a crazy horse. That's what I was right, thinking. Of. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's what it felt like yeah. at the time. Mm-hmm. But I realized I was, I was not alone. That's right. And for me to be open to, well, first of all, for me to ask for, because people would say, oh, I'm so sorry to have your diagnosis. I'm like, don't be. That energy that you're putting into worry and fear, I need you to put into sending me all the healing mojo, love, juju, you possibly can. Right. So please don't feel sorry for me. I don't feel sorry for me. I need you not to feel sorry for me. Just send me love and healing. And people did. Um, my son sent me a text. <laughs> this was shortly after diagnosis with two words. He, he was a college baseball player. And this was, I guess, something that his coach had said to the players. Okay. Two words. Win today. Yeah. <laughs> and it is still on a sticky note mm. on my bathroom mirror five years later. So when today, like, what does that mean? You know, I mean, I'm just posing that out there for your readers. Like what would win today or readers, your listeners, what would win today look like? You know, it's- it might be the smallest, even the smallest thing. It might be getting out of your pajamas and brushing your teeth. Mm-hmm. That's a win. You hear that, Brent? (laughs) God, I love you. I miss your sense of humor. And you and Brent, you were just like Abbott and Costello. My God. Um, Well, thank you very much. Um, I really appreciate that. And I want to say something before we go on further on the win today, because there's so much that can be said about that. I want to go back to what you said about Facebook and how difficult it was for you to even post something like that. I want to go back to sh- to highlight again, look at the goodness of people who reach out to you 
from 30 years ago, three weeks ago, whatever it may be. I just think it, we focus, um, I tend, when I'm in my bad places, I tend to focus on the negative of pretty much everything. But right there is such a wonderful and a beautiful um, example of the goodness in people. And I think it is worth highlighting, especially as, uh, you know, everybody struggles from day to day. Sure. Uh, and as they're working to win the day, as you were saying, and you're right, it 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 could be bite sized chunks, right? Absolutely. Uh, it's it like um, baby steps. Did you ever see what about Bob? Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. Yes, a hundred yeah. years ago. Yeah, right. Baby steps to the elevator. Um, but it's like, hey, I'm going to say 001 percent of the time when I think about, oh, I should have done this. I'm going to think, well, I didn't do that, and that's okay. Sure. Right. Something like that. And that is, I think, what you're saying and what your son said and what's on your mirror when today. Yeah. And it might mean it it might mean stopping, you know, the thought train, which, you know, the interior monologue that uh, is self whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like stopping the negative thinking. Self-flagellation. I mean, it's all story. It's all story. So true. And the mind wants to make sense of things. So it will try to connect the asshole who cut you off in traffic to your father, blah, 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 you know, whatever. The mind wants to connect things. It can't. That's its job. So that's how we get into story. Mm. (laughs) Does that make sense? It makes I'm just kind of really taking that in because it makes perfect sense. It's, you know, I've said it before, I think, on this podcast the Joan Didion quote, uh, we tell ourselves stories in order to live. Sure. And we, I don't Not think. all of those stories serve right. us. Right. No, a lot of them don't, if, 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 right. if I'm speaking. Right. So I love that idea of like the mind wants to figure things out because the mind also is a very complicated organ that when I'm anxious, at least, it wants to uncomplicate everything when that's not possible. And it wants it to be this or that. Um, and yeah. I, I, it, it, it leads me to dark places, I guess I should say. Well, sure. And, you know, black and white is very comforting, but mm-hmm. most of life is the gray mucky exactly. muck in pain. Right. So, yeah. I mean, we want, we want safety. We want comfort. We, we want to be free from fear. Uh, you know, that's certainly, I mean, that makes perfect sense, but, um, yeah. So anyway, yeah. And you said, you know, as you, well, you, you went through the treat, let's go back to the treatment. You went through the treatment, which was very extensive, 16 mm-hmm. of uh, the regular, uh, regular chemo. I don't know if that's right. Uh, a, <laughs> a single mastectomy. And then you had 33 rounds of, or, of radiation and yeah, then six months of oral chemo. Right. Is that just dumb question? Just a pill? Yeah, the oral chemo, yeah, it's just a pill. And so after, um, so I really kicked chemo's ass, believe it or not. Yeah, I'm happy that. to say. Yeah, good. Uh, yeah, fuck you, chemo. And so I had a 99 point, I forget what he said, 99.1% response to chemotherapy. So there was just this little teeny, 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 tiny bit of it left, which is why they did a mastectomy. Gotcha. And um, radiation just to be super safe. Um, and then six m- months of oral chemo to what I called sealing the deal. Like I'm done. Right. I'm done. 
Um, so yeah. So yeah. When, when, at what point were you pronounced and maybe this is not the right way to say it. Were you told that you were in remission? Yeah. uh, Well, my doctor, my oncologist didn't use that. He said, you are NED, which stands for no evidence of disease. And I'm like, okay, does that mean no evidence of disease or no evidence of disease? You know, as an actor, you know how important keywords are, That's right? That's right. Yep. <laughs> so you're saying we don't see any or oh, there might be some there, but we don't see it. And what was his uh, response to that? He said, you know, they're trained. I think it's all a liability issue. Sure. Um, we do not see anything mm-hmm. at this point in time. Did that so lead now you I'm, to go? Sorry, go ahead. No, so now I, you know, I was seeing him every three months until he hit the four-year mark or three-year mark, and uh, then it's every six months, um, and you go in and they ask the same questions. They take your blood work. They look at your blood work numbers. They, do you have any body pain? Do you have any shortness of breath? Do you have bad headaches? Um, do you have any belly pain? The answer is no. Okay, great. See you in six months. So. Wow. And so you're still in the six, uh, every six month checkup or are you? Okay. Right. I'm six months. Okay. Yeah. Um, so as you come out of that, which let's take a moment and say, yes, fuck you, chemo. You kick chemo's ass and huge kudos to you for coming through this. It's amazing. Thank you. Um, I didn't do it by myself. You no, know? you didn't. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you who didn't help Brent. Uh, okay. So, you you talked to me when we talked on the phone. You talked about as you come out of this, you 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 started thinking more about how to stay present in this life. Yeah, yeah. Tell us more so, about what that means to you. Right. Well, for anyone who you know is in this club that no one wants to join, actually, you know what this this can this can cross lines to just I don't know. Anybody that's going through some shit. Okay. Let's just call it that. Yeah. Mine happened to be at that point in my life, cancer cells in my body that were not welcome and were evicted. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the it's difficult not to, to um, at times for me, not to say what if, or if I have a pain in my leg, you know, deep in my leg, Oh my gosh. What does this mean? Um, you know, projecting mm-hmm. some story onto something, which, you know, a story that is not, <laughs> uh, that is not serving me. Yes. It's not serving peace, tranquility, gratitude, total healing. Um, yeah. So it's, it's interesting. I've been doing a lot of have over the last few years and certainly when I'm faced with this, how do I stay in the present moment? Um, you know, like checking the thought because thoughts are things, right? Mm-hmm. And um, because it comes into our consciousness and this is through a lot of work with my therapist and doing a lot of work on myself, pre-diagnosis, doing a lot of reading, but I have to remind myself that just because I think it doesn't mean it's true. Say that again, please. Just because it shows up in my brain does not mean that it is true. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. So 
if I don't check that thought, then I'm, then I'm, I can get hooked emotionally, right? Into right. some sort of fear, panic, or some old story about my father being an alcoholic, blah, 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 blah. And of course this makes sense because I'm a piece of shit and blah, blah, you know, just that story, mm-hmm. that story, that story, that story. But here's the nifty thing. The biochemical response to an emotion only lasts for 90 seconds unless we get hooked and go into story. So what I say to myself is fear is here. Anxiety is here. Worry is here. Whatever it happens to be, right? So anger, fear, anxiety is here. Cancer is not here. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, right. so in wow. that 90 second, and so this, this isn't just for people with cancer. I mean, this is anything. If we can stay in that 90, 90-ish second, you know, where all these biochemicals are happening, blah, blah, blah. And if we don't attach a story to it, which the brain wants to do, oh, this just confirms what uncle so-and-so, you know, you won't amount to anything, whatever it is. Um, we can we can stay in that if we stay in that present moment and just say fear is here, <sighs> anxiety is here. I'm okay. I am safe. Fear is here. I am safe. Anxiety is here. I am safe. Worry is here. All will be well. It's a little, that's a different kind of dialogue than replaying old records, right? In the head. Does that make sense? Um, it makes more sense. Than, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and you said all will be well. I, I do want to interject and say one thing that the great Christopher Markham uh, always has, has said to me throughout the years. He says hello, by the way. Um, oh. Throughout the years is I've gone through so much stuff and he says, all will be well and all will be well and all manner of things will be well. Mm-hmm. And it, I think about it almost every day and, it, and it's about sitting, you know, my therapist has talked to me a lot about sitting with the feeling mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. thinking about how there's, um, we talked once about how there's a conveyor belt of like boxes and each box is a thought and you don't want to stop the box. I mean, you're going to turn into Lucy on the conveyor belt, right? <laughs> with the with the chocolates, um, you want to let them go by. But that's mm-hmm. because of the what you're saying. Attaching a story to it is it provides a, a a weird sort of comfort because it confirms something, right? So you've you've alleviated that anxious feeling, which that feeling is fucking horrible. But you think I've alleviated that feeling. But what you're doing is fur- is furthering that that negative story, as you say. Exactly. So sitting in your dirty diaper, right? I mean, just sitting in the dirty diaper of fear, worry, anger, whatever it is. And you know, there's a saying in 12 steps. Well, I don't know if it's 12 step. My gosh, I've done so much work on myself. I don't know which circle it was, but you've got to feel it to heal it. Right. Mm. So spend an awful lot of time, myself included, trying to numb out feeling what I'm feeling or ignore it or dismiss it or attach a story to it. So I can put it in that box of, Oh, that box, right? There's some comfort. Um, so giving myself permission to feel, let the tears come scream, 
you know, go for a run. It flows and then it goes. Yep. So if I can stay in that present moment and give myself the, the bandwidth or whatever, uh, you know, I mean, I would say to Tim during treatment, I'm going to cry a lot right now, <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. now. I'm going to cry a lot and it's going to sound scary to you. I mean, like howling, racking sobs. Yeah. I'm okay. I want you to know I'm okay. But I need to, you know, and he'd be like, okay. And then he'd be like, whoa, you weren't shitting, you know. <laughs> oh, I can hear him say that. But, but sometimes, you know, sometimes it lasts for 10 minutes. Sometimes it might last for half an hour, but it always goes. Like Pema Chodron said, I don't know if you read any of her stuff. I have not. Pema, Pema Chodron, oh my goodness. It's P-E-M-A. S- write it down because you need to read her stuff. Okay. Uh, Pema Chodron, C-H-O-D-R-O-N. Got it. Pema She's written, Chodron. Okay. Yeah. The places that scare you, um, living with un- uncertainty, just, oh, amazing. But she said, you are the sky. Everything else is just weather. That's wonderful. And um, I would like to, if I may, uh, there's a, it made me think of a Walt Whitman quote. Uh, and I fucking love Walt Whitman, and I have it saved in my phone here. And we can put a link to her books. Excuse me, is it her? I, I assume Pema yes, Chodron. Okay, we can put a link there too of any that you have. The the Whitman quote is, I believe this is from Song of Myself. The real or fancied indifference of some man or woman I love, the sickness of one of my folks or of myself, or ill doing, or loss, or lack of money, or depression or exaltations, battles, the horror, the horrors of fratricidal war, the fever of doubtful news, the fitful events. These come to me days and nights and go from me again, but they are not the me myself. Wow. Wow. Somebody should publish that guy's writing. <laughs> I'm just saying, man. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, I am not this thought. Right. You weren't, yes. I am, I am not this you know, and, and emotions are just energy in motion. That's all it is. E-motion. Energy in motion. So allowing. Like email? <laughs> right. Yeah. But allowing, allowing that energy to pass through and be expressed, you know, transformed. Because it'll transform itself. It's just the grasping and the holding and, oh, shit, and I can't possibly, and what will they think if I, I mean, granted, you don't want to do a primal scream and, you know, in the middle of the, you know, L or whatever, right. or. Yeah, because uh, the well, guy you, next to you is doing it, and, you know, that's right, just too exactly. loud. Exactly. But um, we are more powerful than we realize. We really are in our lives, in in our day-to-day lives, we have so much medicine within us rather and rather. And this, that's part of what I discovered. See if I can do this without, well, you don't care. I don't, but we are, we are so much more powerful than we realize. We truly, truly, truly are. I mean, bad things happen and things suck. Um, you know, a diagnosis, a death, um, a loss of some kind, 
but we don't have to be. Uh, we are co-creators in terms of where our energy goes, where our thoughts go, the kind of words we use. Words have power. Yes, they words do. have power. And so I'll go back to what I was saying. Fear is here rather than saying, I'm afraid. Or worry is here. I am worried. There's a difference to acknowledging the presence of that, the energy of that emotion and saying, I am. Right. Because the, the body responds to how we talk to ourselves. Um, that's why I'm, I Your mentioned body this. body believes every word you say, every which again, we, we will said. link in uh, the show notes. Sure. And again, that's it's bad news for me because um, I say some mean shit. What are some of the ways that you are as as you're you said we have medicine inside of us and we have we're so powerful. What are some of the ways that you are continuing to work to stay present mm. and yeah. and aware of, of these things and just in your everyday life? Yeah. Well, I'm watching my I ams. Mm. Um, I'm watching my my am my I am so that they're. They're ones that serve me. And if Bill's listening, that's not iams, not not like iambic <laughs> pentameter. Right. So, all right. And you. and catching myself when I'm in story and flipping the script. So yes, flipping the script. Now I can sometimes I'm really good at it. Sometimes I suck. Sometimes I get you know I go down the rabbit hole of self defeating thoughts or, you know, I get on the fear and worry train and, uh, you know, like maybe fifteen percent of the time. Um, and that's okay too. It's it's oh, okay. Oh, absolutely. Uh, to you're not nobody's going to be 100% doing everything correctly all the time. You know, we go back to what you were saying earlier about perfectionism. It's exactly. a, it's a it's a it's a real noble goal to do everything right, but you're just it's not uh it's just not possible. And you need you know, I talk about kindness and grace and be, forgiving yourself for not achieving something that you were trying to achieve, something as simple as I need to say that fear is here instead of I am afraid. Well, yesterday I said, I am afraid. Okay. Uh, Tomorrow I'm going to try again, you know? Sure. Absolutely. Getting back on the horse rather than, or I used an analogy when we were talking uh, on the phone before, you know, a month ago or whatever, putting the puppy back on the newspaper. Yeah. I I loved that analogy. Um, (laughs) So rather than using the newspaper to beat the puppy, right? Oh yeah, that's not putting the pu- puppy back on the newspaper. Ah, uh, yeah. Please don't hit dogs. <laughs> no, right. So, so you you ask what I'm doing? Yeah, to, what are you doing mm-hmm. to to nurture myself? To what, just what? to stay present. Um, things that you kind of keep an eye on uh, as mm-hmm. a turn of phrase. Sure. Um, well, as you know, I was the movement acting specialist um, yes, she at, was. Mm-hmm. at our former university. It is a prestigious <laughs> university in the southern part of Illinois, but we don't name it on here. <laughs> um, so it's it's body. It's through the body that I stay present um, a lot. And, um, you know, befriending the body in a different – I had to befriend my body in a different way with the diagnosis or in a deeper way. Um, that went beyond, you know, looks and what size jeans I wore. And, you know, cause there's a lot of, 
body stigma out there, you know, in this culture who prizes waifs and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, not everybody looks like that, nor should everybody. And those people are often really beating, you know, maybe not approaching that in healthful ways, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. um, so my, it, it was realizing that my body and I, my body had not betrayed me, that my body and I were on the same team my body and I were on the same team. You know, our bodies are these miraculous things. I mean, we get a new liver every 300 days. Um, oh, our good. red blood cells, we get a new skeleton every 10 years. You know, yeah, I mean, Brent's our body's got a bunch all- of those in his closet. <laughs> um, you know, we get cut, it heals. We get new skin cells every two to three weeks. Um, we lose 50 to 70 billion cells every day. Jesus, we produce 250 billion cells in a day. So, so all of this is to say, like I, uh, rather than my body as instrument, which is what the way I was working with young actors mm-hmm. ages ago, body as an instrument, um, it was body as BFF, you know, body as friend, body as like the most beautiful constant companion I have. And, and uh, I think what you're saying and is appreciating the wonder that is the human body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And absolutely. I can say one of my biggest struggles as far as, as this goes is I just don't have, I, I, I can't eat well. It's just, I can't figure it out. It's like the mail. I get the mail. I don't know what to do with the mail. Kevin's people say, Kevin, open it. I go, I understand that, but I'm going to put it over there because I don't, I don't know what to do with it. It's the same thing with eating well, but to eat well, I'm learning. <laughs> it's going to help immeasurably, uh, especially as you were saying, your body. Anyway, absolutely. Sorry. Yeah. And it's harder to eat well. It's very hard. And hey, listen, not Exotic everybody money. has those resources. Right. Exactly. Unfortunately. Exactly. When bologna is, you know, less expensive than apples, you know, or whatever. You know, you made it to America. <laughs> right. Um, I would also say um, just surrendering. Now, surrendering to me isn't about giving up. It's really about opening to what is happening. Can you give me an example right? of that? Yeah, so, um, well, I'll be more specific. During during treatment and diagnosis, I had to surrender and let go over and over and over again of a lot of things, like hair, fingernails, all the plans I had, uh, a breast, you know, feeling in my fingers and toes, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like rather than swimming upstream, like if I were in a canoe, why am I paddling upstream? I'm exhausting myself trying to resist whatever it is that's here in front of me or whatever it is that I'm, you know, facing right now. So what if I turn my canoe downstream? I'm floating, man. I'm floating. So you're basically just saying the energy that is, I want to make sure that I understand this, that the energy that you're expelling, expending rather, excuse me, to <laughs> worry, 
worry about cancer, to worry about maybe death, to worry anything or to say that I, I resist this. You're yeah. saying you turn it around and say this is what it is. Mm-hmm. And in your beautiful metaphor, when you turn it around, you're floating. You're not going. Ha, ha, ha. Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of people say it is what it is. Well, it is what it is. But there's often a lot of subtext there. Like it is what it is. And this fucking sucks. It is what it is. And I hate you. It is what it (laughs) is. And that's not fair. It is what it is. So to be able to say it is what it is with no subtext, with no agenda to say, this is what is happening for me, with me, whatever, within me at this moment. Um, Yeah. It's, it's a monumental act of bravery, really. It's really an act of bravery to say, I'm not going to, to go, I'm not going to attach to that old story. I'm not going to reach for another glass of Merlot. I'm not going to smoke a joint. I'm not going to, I mean, not that there's anything wrong with, you know what I'm saying? But, yeah, I hear what you're saying. But people who have issues with that know, <laughs> mm-hmm. or I would invite them like I did with myself to, recognize, Ooh, I could just, I could just stay in this space that feels very, Oh, I don't know, scary. Uh, I've never been here before, or I want to reach for the, you know, the drug or whatever it is, turn on the television, go shopping, whatever, porn, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. um, that I'm going to just stay here for a minute and make sure that my canoe is pointed downstream and it will flow and go it. I mean, that energy definitely will flow and go. So I don't know. I, I, I'm closing my eyes because I'm really <laughs> trying hard to lit uh, when I, I close my eyes, when I really want to concentrate and listen. And yes. I think it's just a very, most profound things are quote unquote simple. Right. But, but difficult, difficult to, to execute. Right. Well, and I was just listening to that because I have struggled with that. It's like, oh, my God. Oh, I've had a fucking horrible day. God damn it. Uh, Oh, look, there's beer. That'll help. Um, As Homer Simpson says, you know, uh, here's to alcohol, the cause of and the solution to all of life's problems. Um, You know what? It's interesting. I saw something on Facebook that I wrote down and I saw it some time ago, but it's here in my uh, on my office wall. And it says, did you really have a bad day? Or did you have 10 to 20 minutes where you let your thoughts run undisciplined, which led you to a bad vibe that you let carry you away? Come on. You run this shit. Pay attention. Pay attention. Be attentive. You were talking much earlier about uh, um, codependency, although I think uh, I'm going to patent that to codependency uh, (laughs) about hypervigilance. But there's, there's there's a positive. Pay attention. You're here. Look what's going on around you. And that's so true because I don't know how many bad days, quote unquote, bad days I've had where it was really just, you know, 20 minutes of, oh, God, I'm up frustrated about X, Y, or Z. And then I let right. that story become another story. I call it the voice, the anxiety, a world. Then all of a sudden I live in a doom filled landscape right. uh, when two minutes ago I just, you know, had chap lips. And what the fuck? How did I get here? Right. But that awareness. Your willingness to ask yourself those questions or the awareness of like suddenly, you know, you hate the world because you have chapped lips. Um, that's that's a huge that's part of your medicine. That's in your medicine bag as well. 
Mm. And we've all got medicine. We've got all, we all have medicine. We all have medicine. For me, movement is medicine. Movement is the best medicine for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a lot of, uh, I, I'm a Qigong practice leader now. So that you were asking me how, you know, how I'm nurturing myself right. and staying present. Qigong is a wonderful practice uh, for that very thing. Um, it quiets the, calms the parasympathetic nervous system. It connects breath and body movement. If people don't know what it is, they've probably heard of Tai Chi. Mm-hmm. Well, Qigong is the mother of Tai Chi. So uh, I bet you there are probably 500 Qigong practices. That's Q-I-G-O-N-G for your listeners. There are probably 500 Qigong practices going on in in Chicago right now and probably some free in a park somewhere. Um, I cannot um, endorse it too highly. For Can you spell sure. that one more time, please? Yeah, it's QI. So that's Chi. So Chi is the life force energy in that is present in all things. The ocean, you know, s- sand, trees, rocks, us, us. We're made of nitrogen. We're made of stardust. We're made of the same compounds that the rest of the world is made of. So Chi QI and Gong, G like Gong, G O N G. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's spelled differently in different traditions, but if you say Qigong, people are going to know what you're talking about. Okay. Um, so yeah, movement is medicine. Um, and also just finding glimmers, uh, like little, it's interesting. Maybe it's because I'm retired now and because I'm on, well, Actually, when I was going through treatment, I spent a lot of time in nature mm. um, and just taking in the beauty uh, of my surroundings and, and asking myself, what would light me up right now in a good way? Right. You know, what lights me up? You know, what would feel really, really good right now? Whether that's, you know, drinking, uh, I don't know a matcha latte or whether, whatever it is. Like um, I feel like so much of my energy, especially as a young career person and well, as a recovering codependent, but so much of my energy was going forward and out of me towards other people or projects or things. And so, you know, the decks have been cleared both diagnosis wise and time wise now. I mean, cause I was in treatment and then, COVID hit. So, you know, I've been sort of, I was spinning my wheels for like another two years to, to start doing the stuff that, you know, I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. um, So being able to drop back and self-reference, be self-centered, quote unquote, as in centered in self and what would feel really good right now? What would taste really good right now? You know, what sounds do I want? You know, what kind of music do I want to listen to, uh, you know, Yeah. as opposed to what should I be doing? What should I be listening to? What should I be reading? My therapist <laughs> once said to me, Lori, when are you going to stop shooting all over yourself? <laughs> when the depends arrive. <laughs> <laughs> but that's brilliant, right? It's so true. It's, it's, it's the same as um, my therapist uh, says, 
whenever I'm like, well, what if blah, 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 right? Whatever I'm worried about. And she goes, yeah, you'll deal with it. And I'm like, yep. God damn it. Give me my copay back. Uh, but she's right. right. You'll deal with it. And shooting all over yourself is so right. And we do that, I believe, daily. I should be doing this. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, the, yesterday, as an example, for me, I was reading uh, uh, this, this new biography about uh, J. Edgar Hoover just for fun. And uh, I kept thinking, I should be doing this. I should be writing. I should be this. And then I was able to say, no, I should, I should, I guess I didn't say this, but should have, would have, could have, fuck off, read about J. Edgar Hoover. And that's okay. And I think it is even in the minuscule way that we've talked about it, bite-sized chunks saying, I don't always have to say should. There are certain times in our lives where we have to give ourselves over to things that we might not agree with, um, things that that powers outside of us. But that doesn't mean in our whole life we have to say, well, I should be doing this or I should be doing that. Right. Right. And it depends on whether they're your shoulds or somebody else's or society shoulds, because that's a big difference. Like, so I might say to myself, Oh, I should work out Mm -hmm. well or whatever. That's different than because, because working out is a priority to me. So to me that the shoulding and the, the dreaded D word, which is discipline, you know, when that came up, I don't know if I ever said it in one of your classes with me, but, you know, discipline is doing something you know you need to do, even though you don't want to do it at that particular point in time. Like talk to Brent. <laughs> but here's the thing. My friend, a good friend, my friend Hillary once said to me, think of it as discipline as being a disciple. So what are you a disciple of that totally changed it for me. So I'm on that a little bit, please. Well, so discipline has a dirty word, right? Like it, it seems like boot camp, like you're forcing a square peg in a round hole, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You're making yourself do something that either you don't really want to do, or you're, if you've got a procrastination gene, like I inherited from my dad, it's like later, you know, manana, um, but if I'm, if I'm, if I'm a disciple of say, um, well, what are you a disciple of Kevin? I think, um, I'll, I'll use, uh, Siri Lindley was recently on the podcast and in her book, she talks about values and defining the values of your life. So I'm going to answer it with the three values that I came up with. Kindness, honesty, and silliness. So I, I would like to say I would like to be a disciple of those three uh, three things. Right. So it helps simplify <laughs> the shoulds. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so when you are when you are doing those things that you are a disciple of, it doesn't feel like work. Right. You're not forcing yourself to be kind. Well, maybe sometimes you do, um, but but you can remind yourself, I'm a disciple of kindness. Mm. And if that's the case, if that's really the case, and I mean, I have, I totally believe you when you say that. So I'm a disciple of kindness. That also means kindness to myself, <laughs> not just other people. So because exactly I'm right. a disciple, because I'm a disciple of kindness and being kind to myself, I'm going to take the extra 30 minutes it takes to prepare, you know, a 
uh, food that is a little, that is better for my body. I mean, because you were talking about the, you know, yeah, eating I well. Know. I was food. just, <laughs> I was also thinking about how I fuck up cereal, but yes, <laughs> no, you're right. And it's, it's put going back to, again, what you said when you got moved to the front of the line, front of mm-hmm. the line. Yep. And I think that another thing from the, from speaking with Siri Lindley, um, she talks about how there's a gift in every struggle. And I think that mm-hmm. your stories today have been. Uh, just perfect evidence of that. I mean, there are a yeah. few struggles harder than what you just went through. And you came out on the other side stronger, um, more, as you said, self-centered and not in the Ayn Rand way. Like right. a petulant six-year-old who's like, I want everything that I want. Sorry, I really don't like her. Um, and you came out and you are doing your best to move away from things, patterns, as I call them, patterns that were there your whole life, but you're realizing I'm in control here. Right. And you're doing it in, and I think for anybody who's listening, there's patterns that are, or excuse me, they're little, again, bite-sized chunks. It's not going to change tomorrow. Um, and and that is okay. Um, we, we've got a very, we've got a culture that wants it yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I remember joking, this is 20 years ago, getting upset because my fast food wasn't coming fast enough. <laughs> How fucking ironic is that when there are people starving? Do you yeah. know what I mean? So there is this sort of, oh, lose, you know, lose 20 pounds in four days or, you know, I mean, we just, we want it now. We want it yesterday rather than trusting, you know, that attention, care, putting the puppy back on the paper, beginning again and again and again. There's magic in beginning new, you know, we get, we get 365 fresh chances. Mm. To win today. To win today. Ooh, damn, we're a good team here. Yeah, we're doing all right. We're doing all right. So um, I don't know how we're doing for time, but I would like to kind of, I don't know. I'd like to share a poem. Please. Well, just a writing. Um, there's uh, is a this, who, who is it by? His name is Mark Nepo. Okay. N-E-P-O. Okay. Um, he's written a book called the book of awakening, which are daily readings. He happens to also be a cancer survivor, which I didn't know until later. Anyway, it says to journey without being changed is to be a nomad to change without journeying is to be a chameleon to journey and be transformed by the journey is to be a pilgrim. So here I am just a normal person trying to keep it real you know, the di- a diagnosis cuts through all the BS, but my pilgrimage, you know, has led me to a few nuggets. Can mm-hmm. I share those? Please. You and your readers? Okay. Yes, please. Life is happening for you, not to you. It doesn't often turn out the way it should, but it turns out as it does. Mm. <laughs> uh, and this is a much more juicy and expansive place to live from. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Nobody can take better care of you than you and nobody should have to. Lessons from a diagnosis. Um, Self-care is a discipline and you are worth every bit of the same loving care you give other people, family, friends. You know, think of reversing the golden rule. Do unto yourself as you do for others. Right. Um, What are your non-negotiables? 
again, like, what are you in in discipleship to? And I don't have time, quote unquote, is a code for it's not a priority. Right. So you take time or you make time Mm -hmm. for the things you're in discipleship to. Um, Choosing where to focus my energy. I'm choosing thoughts that serve, heal, and nurture me, that light me up. Um, paying attention to things that matter. Um, I'm watching my words. Uh, my I, I'm making my I am's work for me rather than against me. Um, asking for what you need and being willing to receive it with grace and gratitude. There is no shame in asking because we like to look at everybody's A reels. We're living our B reels, but we're looking at everybody else's A reels and we think they've got it all together when they often everybody. I'm going to I'm going to go out there and say everybody is probably dealing with something. Uh you're that's 100% correct. Right. So, can we all just take, take off our clothes metaphorically speaking, you know, or take off our masks? Metaphorically, take, Brent. Metaphorically, Brent, please. Yeah. You know, there is there is no harm in asking. None whatsoever. Um, we are so much more powerful than we realize. Uh, Marianne Williamson uh, once said, our greatest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our greatest fear is that we're powerful beyond measure. We are co-creators. Um, let's see what else. The present moment has to be enough because that is all there is. And the present moment can fucking save you. I'm sure my mother will not listen to this podcast. So I feel okay with saying fucking um, the present mem- the present moment can fucking save you. Yeah. And um, my mom will listen. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, mom. No, 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 no. I'm going to say it too. It will fucking save you. And um, by the way, that's my choice. My mother raised me better than that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it makes me think of a David Foster Wallace line, which I'm going to, butcher a little bit but it's no single moment is in and of itself unendurable oh god i love that infinite jest david foster wallace it it gets a bad rap because it's a big book and a bunch of people talk about it it's one of the most profound books you'll ever read um but yes infinite jest okay it's a giant book and um it's fucking hilarious and it's terribly terribly sad i'm gonna once we're off and everything i'm gonna send you a few more quotes from that book via text okay. um, sounds great but at, you know as we're wrapping up yeah and and everything that you went through and everything that you have done as you said you've been working for years on this mm. and i love that you say that proudly because it should be said proudly because doing work on yourself is a wonderful thing and yeah. is there anything else that you would like to impart you know before we close today anything at all mm. yeah um that's a really great, great question. Um, I really feel like it all comes down to energy, like where uh, energy and love. So like, what would love do? What would love do? You know, you're a disciple of kindness. What would kindness do? Mm-hmm. Um because, I, I mean, I honestly believe, I don't know, we're here to to experience <clears throat> being human, 
we're spiritual beings having a human experience and the human, the human part of us is uh, messy. <laughs> yes. um, so just reminding ourselves of our, uh, of our light and love and um, I don't know that we're, that we can co-create. Um, we are a part of it. We, we are, are not part powerless. Of it. We are, we are in powerful. It. Yes. Exactly. We are in this energy. We are made of this energy and we can choose where our attention and energy goes in ways that rather than being harmful are helpful and nurturing. Yes. I, well, but, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, that's it. That's it. Well, uh, I'm, I'm happy to say, Lori, I think you won today. So good work. <laughs> Thank um, you. And I know I speak for everyone when um, we say that we look forward to you meeting those grandbabies very soon. You and Thank the Finker, the good well, man. Talk to, talk to my kids because well. they're not anywhere near that. <laughs> um <laughs> And uh, I just can't thank you enough for coming on and, and telling such a personal story and, and the, the profound um, way that you were able to approach such a, a very daunting and horrible uh, time in your life and the way that you've come through so strong um, with renewed energy, vigor, um, and everything. And I think it's just, it's just really inspiring. So thank you very much. It is nothing but a pleasure. Kevin, and it's so great to see your face. And I can't see Brent's. I know you're going to say that's a good thing because I know how you guys roll together. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, and and thank you for the opportunity because you know I've like I've not been telling right. my story. And in other words, it's I've, I've put it sort of in the past, and it was really refreshing for me to and a real gift to really go back and think things through and you know, put words to it. And uh, so that was a wonderful gift. Thank you very much. You are more than welcome. And again, thank you. Um, And to everybody else, I will just end the same way I always do, uh, which is a reminder that there is always room for kindness and grace, even in situations and especially in situations when dealing with yourself. Um, I forget it every single day. But as we discussed earlier, that's okay. I'll try again tomorrow and I will try to win tomorrow as I'm trying to win today. And um, so just remember, there's always room for kindness and grace. Thank you so much to Lori. Thank you so much to everyone listening. And if you do want to be on the show, please email sadtimeskc at gmail.com. That's sadtimesketchup, catsup, so kc at gmail.com. And we can let you know how it works. And please do subscribe and make sure that you are telling your friends. And if you'd like us, leave us a good review. And again, there's always room for kindness and grace. And we'll see you next time on Sad Times. You've been listening to a fourth hand joint.